Now, back to the Talk of Fame Network with Ron Borges, Rick Goslin, and your Hall of Fame host, Clark Judge, on Yahoo Sports Radio. Talk of Fame is brought to you by Geico. That's Geico, where 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. For more details, go to geico.com. And as you know, we promise you Bill Koherrick, former assistant GM with the Philadelphia slash Baltimore Stars and GM of the New Orleans Saints and vice president in charge of player personnel with the Kansas City Chiefs. Bill's a longtime friend of all of ours, and I mean longtime friend. He's not only the current interim GM of the Cleveland Browns, He's on the phone with us now. Hey, Billy, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hello, guys. How you doing? Look forward to talking about the USFL. Well, so do we. First question for you. The Stars, they won two or three league championships in the USFL. How do you think that team would have done had it played in the NFL? I think it would be competitive. I think what would have happened is through attrition, the depth certainly wouldn't have been there to compete in a 16-game season with the NFL caliber players. But I think if you started the first part of the season, I think the first quarter of the season, that team would have been very competitive with the NFL team. Bill, tell us about the dog and pony show. That was the Stars' first open tryout camp. (laughs) Well, uh, actually... uh, uh, Dog and Pony is a good uh, good uh, comparison, but um, we had a series of tryouts in the fall of that year uh, prior to starting up in the spring. We would go to different high schools to uh, get coming out. One come, one come, one come all tryout. Anybody who wanted to, we'd, we'd go through your typical individual bills drills, and we would eliminate real quickly. The one guy we found out of one of the tryout drills was Sam Mills, and we actually signed him in. Uh, Joe Pendry, who was our offensive coordinator at the time, we were ended up signing players in, in his van after, after the tryout. So it was a, a different experience. We wanted to obviously give anybody uh, a try who felt they had ability to play. Uh, above into the next level of, of ball. So it, it was, uh, there's a lot of different stories of uh, Joe Pendry tapping guys on the shoulder saying, okay, it's time for you to go. We've seen enough of you. And But we did we did get, I don't know how many exactly out of that those tryouts that we eventually ended up uh, bringing to a training camp in the first year, but the, the most notable was Sam Mills. Did uh, you get tapped on the shoulder, Bill? No. I was I was young and energetic. <laughs> How hard to sell was was Sam Mills to uh, to your coaching staff? You bring in a midget linebacker, and not every coach is excited about a midget linebacker. Very difficult. Uh, we went through training camp. Vince Tobin was the defensive coordinator, and when we go through our our weekly meetings about ranking the players, Sam would always be the number one player on on defense. And, and Jim Moore, who was the head coach, would always question Vince about how can we play in the regular season with a 5-9 linebacker. And it, you really have to give Vince the credit for the persistence as saying, you know, this guy is so good. He is so instinctive. He is so uh, knowledgeable about the plays and the 
offensive schemes and sets and et cetera. He's the leader of the defense. And, you know, through the preseason in those days, you'd have to scrimmage against other teams in Florida. He just kept showing up on tape. And there was a concern from the head coach, uh, but Vince Tobin never waffled. And uh, he's proven out to be the right decision. Uh, Jim Mora was probably playing a little devil's advocate with Vince to see how firm he would stand on Sam. But after the first regular season game, uh, where we played the Denver Gold out in Colorado, it was clear that we made the right decision by having him in the lineup and being one of our inside backers. Billy, about that guy who kept showing up on tape, and I'm talking about Sam Mills. Uh, earlier this summer, I did a state your case on him, and you know that I did because I consulted you. Uh, about Sam Mills, but some persons told me that they thought he was the second best defensive player in the USFL behind Reggie White, of course. you agree? Oh, you know, when you get into, it's like uh, ice cream. Some people like vanilla, some people like chocolate, some people like strawberry. Uh, I, I don't know if you can rank them as the second best, but he certainly was in the top five. I don't recall, you know, you got... Keith Millard was there. I mean, there were others, but, you know, as far as game in and game out, he was as productive as anybody on a defensive team in the USFL, no question. Bill, you were clearly the best team in 1983, the first season. You went 15-3, by far the best regular season record. How did you lose the title game? I think we we uh, we were in a situation against uh, Bobby uh, Javier as the quarterback, and and Anthony Carter, the receiver, they hit a couple big plays. Uh, we were unable to score enough. We scored a late touchdown to, to make it 28-24. But really, uh, you have to give credit to the Michigan Panthers. Uh, they really contained Calvin Bryant. Uh, they had a good concept of, of against our passing game. We were a controlled passing game with Tom, Connie Donovan, Donovan and Scott Pitsky. Uh, as our primary receivers. Um, so they bottled up Kelvin, um, and they were able to score enough points on our defense with big plays. Of course, as you know, David Dixon is the founder of the league, and he had the Dixon plan that called for a salary cap of uh, $1.8 million per team. Uh, that was pretty quickly abandoned by several teams. Uh, I'm wondering two things. Had the Dixon plan been followed, uh, do you think the USFL's chances of survival would have been enhanced? And was the signing of Herschel Walker uh, in some ways the death knell for both the plan and the league rather than the sort of you know savior that it was perceived to be? Let's, let's address the first question. The Dixon plan, it was clear early on that teams were, were not going to follow that. Uh, they had what was called a wild card where everybody was asked go out and sign one marquee player, Jim Kelly, Steve Young, et al. With the influx of the NFL players coming back over, uh, that quickly went, went out the window. I, I think my big opinion on the league is they're always in a league. There's always the have and the have-nots. So as the first year unfolded, you could tell who, who the better teams were. They were drawing appropriately, and then the teams that were losing, the novelty kind of wore off, the attendance went down. A couple things, the Herschel Walker signing, in my opinion, wasn't the best now. I think what one of the 
issues was is they went from 12 to 18 teams from year one to year two. I think that was a big mistake in hindsight. Then the third year they went back to, to a lower number. Another another problem was the teams that were winning, such as Philadelphia, were drawing well. Tampa was drawing well. There's, there's always teams that are going to draw well in non-NFL cities. Conversely, the the LA team did not draw well. So I think a better plan on where maybe to put some of these teams, uh, New York drew very well, uh, would have been a better consideration rather than trying to follow this Dixon plan. Well, Billy, you probably know that sound. That's our two-minute drill. We've got to go. So thanks for the time. And remember, Cleveland rocks.